powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. You guys are going to hear from both Adam Dirty and Ryan Grubb in this hour for their press conferences. Coming up next hour, you're going to hear our interview with Seahawks defensive coordinator Adam Dirty. Right now, we're going to get to uh, four down territory. This is four down territory going inside, inside the, the game. game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, if you're Justin Fields, what's your main priority? There's a lot going around about Justin Fields, right? Everyone's trying to predict what's going to happen with that number one pick with the Chicago Bears. I believe they will draft Caleb Williams. And what do you do with Justin Fields? We've heard theories, right? We've heard, okay, you keep both of them. And, uh, and you see what happens there. Horrible scenario. Why would you keep two starter-type guys on your roster, both young? Get rid of one. We've also heard that um, they're going to trade Justin Fields. Okay, sounds good. And then I read an article where the GM for the Bears is coming out and saying, oh, I love Justin Fields. He looks great. He's a big guy. He's so talented. There's so much surrounding Justin Fields right now that if I am him, I'm doing exactly what Tony Pollard did. We saw Tony Pollard find out that Dan Quinn was no longer the defensive coordinator during Super Bowl weekend when he was conducting an interview or Super Mm -hmm. Bowl week conducting an interview. If I'm Justin Fields, I'm just staying ready and I'm putting my phone down because he does not control anything that's about to go down with him. I assume he will be on a different team, but sometimes, man, you're looking at your phone. You're looking on X. You're you're reading the tabloids, and it can mess with you mentally. I think Justin Fields will be a good quarterback in this league. I think he is extremely confident, and he should be. And I think that wherever he goes, he is going to make that team better. But if I'm Justin Fields, I'm just putting the phone down, man. I'm going to work every single day. I'm training. I'm making sure I'm ready to go because you are going to get an opportunity to be a starter in this league again. It's crazy all the stuff that's going down. Do your best Tony Pollard impersonation. Put the phone down and uh, find out via interview what's going to happen with that number one pick. Second down. The NFL does not like the idea of a joint streaming service by ESPN, Fox, and Discovery. Why? And why does it make you laugh? This is funny. And the reason why they don't like it is because it um, it controls the bidding wars. What the NFL does is they, they allow these companies to bid on games which forces companies to pay way more for these games than they normally would. Now, with these powers coming together, it it kills some of that bidding war. So the NFL has been banking on conducting essentially bad business with these networks and saying, Mm -hmm. we know the game was worth X amount of dollars, but we're going to start this bidding war and we are going to double that. And it makes me laugh because the, the empire that the NFL is is crazy. They're worried about making all this money, right? What they should be worried about is putting their referees in great positions to make calls. Doing things like put a chip in the dang ball, figuring out how to spot the ball accurately, removing as much human error from the game as possible. I think you still need referees to call holding and offsides and and um, defensive pass interferences and all that stuff. But there are some procedure type things that the NFL could get rid of if they wanted to. Instead, they're focused on exploiting these networks for every dollar that they can. Here's the jacked up part. These companies have the money too. So it's evil versus evil in this situation when it comes to the money and the bidding wars, but you're ignoring the product mm-hmm. on the field. You could help that situation just by using technology. So I, I look at the situation that's going on with the NFL and the, uh, the potential of these networks combining, and it just makes me laugh. NFL wants more money. 
help your referees out, put them in positions to make uh, good calls or take error out of their hands in some situations. So that's why I laugh at it. I go, NFL, man, doing NFL things. <laughs> Third down. Uh, ah, sorry, we're, we're remote. I'm on my laptop. Uh, who are some names you've seen connected to the Niners as possible defensive coordinator and which is most likely? These some OGs right here, Stace. Uh, I'm reading. Bill Belichick has been connected to the 49ers. Vrabel's been connected to the 49ers. And I saw someone mention good old Pete Carroll in connection to the 49ers. Pete actually coached for the 49ers back in the day. Which one of these are most likely? If I had to pick between these three, I'd go Vrabel. Vrabel's the younger guy. Um, he was recently a head coach. Obviously, all three of these guys were head coaches. But Belichick and Pete Carroll are just in different parts of their lives in this situation. Um, I think really just taking a year off and chilling and figuring something out is the best case for these dudes. If they want to coach, they're going to be able to coach wherever they want to. But I look at Vrabel and I go, if you do go with Vrabel, you're probably only going to have him for a year. And is that the route you want to go? You've already seen Salah for a couple years, D'Amico Ryans. You have Steve Wilkes for one year. You add another guy who's just going to be there for a year. What does that do for your team and their chemistry, morale, or whatnot? Either way it goes, if they were to grab any of these three guys, It'd be a win for them, even if it is just four years. Something tells me they're going to go younger or go a different direction. But I thought it was funny when I saw Pete Carroll thrown in the mix, too. I go, man, imagine him in San Francisco competing against the Seattle Seahawks, going back to one of the places where he first started in the NFL. Um, it'd be an interesting story, and it would definitely make uh, the two times the Seahawks and the 49ers matchup um, have a different type of feel to it. Fourth down. Bump, we've got some breaking Seahawks news about Geno Smith. Tell us what we need to know and how you feel about it. Well, you're, you're the breaking news person, so you break the news and then I'll and just then respond you'll, Okay, okay. Uh, so uh, according to Adam Schefter of ESPN, uh, Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith was informed today that he will remain on the roster through this week, which allows his $12.7 million salary to become fully guaranteed. Now, the reason that uh, that is up for debate is everyone was wondering whether or not the Seahawks would make a move maybe moving on from Gino before tomorrow to save themselves that $12.7 million. One good for Gino. Got guaranteed money. Now, he can still be cut, right? March 18th, I think, is the, the next date that you're looking at. Um, if he is on the roster by then, he will get a roster bonus, and he'll for sure be the quarterback uh, this year. I, I think this is the move. I, I think this tells us a little bit about the direction of this team that they do look at Geno Smith and say this is our guy at least for now now they're going to explore every option you know John Schneider he's great at evaluating quarterbacks you still want to see what what Grubb brings to the table as far as scheme and how he sees Geno being used but this is a step in the right direction for mm -hmm. me I think you need to lock down your quarterback and say you get into the draft you do something crazy then you draft a quarterback at 16 or you try to move up or something like that, um, then we'll have a bit more direction. But um, this is great news for Geno. You get your $12 million guaranteed. And I think this is great news for the Seahawks. Um, I, I thought this was going to happen, but it's yeah. officially official. Now, we're not done as far as watching dates when it comes to Geno Smith. From Dan Graziano, um, next up is March 18th. So Geno had tomorrow this $12.7 part of his salary be fully guaranteed. He'll be on the roster. That's going to happen. He's not going anywhere. On March 18th, $9.6 in a roster bonus becomes guaranteed. So there's still a chance that the Seahawks do something before March 18th. Isn't this the game of the offseason with every single team, yeah. right? It's just like, okay, well, this thing happened, but just wait. 
<laughs> Watch for this, this next day. day. Exactly. So just so you guys know, March 18th is now the deadline that you're kind of eyeing when it comes to Gino. 9.6 million becomes fully guaranteed, and that's in the form of his roster bonus. His salary becomes fully guaranteed this Friday. Uh, all right, you're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. You guys are in for a treat. You're going to hear from new Seahawks defensive coordinator Adam Dirty for the very first time. That's going to be followed by new Seahawks OC Ryan Grubb for the first time. It's all coming your way next. Bump and Stacy, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Hear from New Seahawks defensive coordinator Adam Dirty for the first time live now. I'm grateful to be here. And can you just, for one more time, just say your name so we can get it straight and move on? Adam Dirty, but everyone calls me AD, so just call me AD. It makes it simple, makes it easy, and then that's what I answer to. I'm uh, Bob Condotta with the Seattle Times. Uh, it sounded like it, you didn't have much of a connection really with Mike McDonald kind of prior to all of this. How did, how did that all kind of come together and, and you get involved in this job? Yeah, no, I didn't have any any connection. Just got a call about a um, <clears throat> an interview and went for the interview and kind of it snowballed from there and we were rolling. Just met a great guy and kind of we connected and had the same philosophy on a lot of things and we were going from there. Mike mentioned that as well, kind of same philosophy. Just what is it about the way you see defense and the way he does that, that clicked? Um, just really like how the game's played, how people try and create space in the game, where the down and distance the situation is, how we attack the quarterback, how we make him uncomfortable, those kind of things. Just talk different things in the run game, how we attack different places. Um, and it just kind of clicked, you know, like as we was going through it and the conversation carried on and, you know, time goes by and, and you don't feel like time's going by and, you just know that you're kind of with the right people. I know you've got to build the defense up, but what are the hallmarks of the defense that, that you want the defense to have? I think really, when you're thinking about that, the way I kind of look at it and the way we kind of look at it and we talk about it is like looking at it in like three different levels, like us, okay? Really, how do we communicate and play on together as all three levels? I think like you watch the defense from Baltimore, they have a great, way of playing on all three levels together you see that they're connected and I think that's a big part of the way you play and then really the standard you know you have a, like the standard is the fabric of this building bro you can feel it when you walk in you know like and to come and add to that is really exciting so it's like how how really are we fundamentally sound some of the things that Jay talk, just talked about like how we fundamentally sound how we play in the standard we want to play as a group and really the last thing is just attacking the ball you know like if we're if we're attacking the ball, there's all the system stuff on top of that. But really, really in those three prongs, if you're rolling there, that's our, our kind of philosophy and really how I've learned to build this, my kind of philosophy through my time in the league. What, what are the foundations of your philosophy? Like what, what previous coordinators or previous styles do you feel like you pulled from to create what you want to impart on this? Team? A lot of guys I've been around really, like um, obviously DQ, Dan Quinn, um, Raheem, Jeff Ulbrich. Those guys have had big impacts on my career. You know, um, worked to, under Jeff as a um, assistant, worked under Ra when he was defensive coordinator, been with Q nearly my whole professional coaching career. So, like, those guys have really kind of made me think about the game, made me think about how you make people play their best football. I think some of those guys, that's their superpower, you know, and um, how communication is key and how fundamentals are key. You mentioned DQ. Obviously, he spent a decent amount of time here. 
in the process did you talk to him about Seattle about I kind of didn't like in this actual process I didn't really it's kind of because it kind of it all happened for us both at the same time so we kind of got like went like that and got lost in the kind of craziness that was going on I think he got the Washington and I was getting on a plane to um Seattle and then the next time I spoke to him a few weeks uh, a few days ago I spoke to him this morning that's the last time like so no we really kind of we've just come back together now so he he means a lot to me how close is this defense to being a championship caliber defense as far as what you have on the roster right now and what do you need to kind of get there you think I think that's a great question like that I don't want to do it injustice because I literally landed a day and a half ago and kind of been in hiring like I like when this team played against us in Dallas I could feel the defense I was coaching defense so I wasn't really paying attention to the offense but I could feel the speed that they were moving with the intent that they played with you know so like I definitely know it's there I just don't want to answer your question and give like you know and say something that I haven't got the full picture of right now how did you first get into American football growing up over? That's a long time ago. <laughs> it, in England, it was like, when I was young, it was like on terrestrial TV. So it was on a channel that was on at a certain time on Sundays, and I just kind of liked it. And it was random. There was a kid in my street that liked it. And my mum bought us a football, and we started playing. And then I found a team and kind of never an expectation to go where I've gone. But... I just fell in love with the sport and kind of ignited from there, and that's how I found it. There seems to be a large contingent of Seahawks fans in in Britain. Anyway. Yeah, there have you noticed that? No, and definitely. I feel like I feel like um, over the last ten years, the Seahawks be like I, I've come and gone from England, so like really, I've been here full time from 2018. But I, like with the build of the IPP program and stuff, I was traveling around for like. The last 10 years but the the growth of football internationally has like literally the um the acceleration has just gone like this slow and then suddenly i would say in the last 10 to 15 years it's just gone like that and i think like there's there's obviously those teams that have the kind of i call it the, when i got into football like the 90s like the cowboys and the the washington commanders miami those teams were big in europe but now like the point like i feel like um the Seahawks, a couple of other teams have really like kind of built a fan base out there. AD, I'm sure you've talked to uh, Mike about how it might work with him calling the defensive signals. Just how it might work on game day or during the week as you guys prepare and what your role might be in that in that scenario. Yeah, I think I think that's going to be built over time. You know, like like as we go through this, we're going to kind of build that process. I think as one of my roles, I think is important is really getting to know him. You know, I need, like, I've always found that whenever I've worked for someone, if the more I understand them, the more I can see round corners for them, the more I can support them, the more successful we become. You know, I, this is a true partnership. So as we work through this, I think that's my, that's one of my biggest roles in the short term is really like learning him. How does he think? How does he move around? Where's his spaces to talk when he's focused on something? Do you know, like, that's, that, that's, I've started that process, but that, I see that as like, a long process that I will be doing in this offseason. Greg Bell, the News Tribune, sir. What draws you to coaching? What do you What are you attracted to it? What do you enjoy most about it? That's a great question. Like, uh, like, to be honest with you, like, it's just the people. Like, at the core of it, like, I I really enjoy teaching. I really help. I enjoy helping people. They help me. I think 
all the people I've coached through my career have had massive impacts on me. Um, and I feel like the people that have coached me have had massive impacts on me. So I feel like to give that back, every time I do that the right way, I feel good things happen in my career. So like that's really my, where my passion comes from. When I was a coach, I would say Dan, DQ, um, Raheem, like I said, Brick, there's a few other coaches, but they're like the most apparent in this, this um, time, you know? What did you take away from working the International Capitalist Program? What were some of the... I think, professionally for me, I think a big part of that is your... You never skip a beat, you know? Like, every detail matters. So, like, when you're going through that and you're coaching someone that has never done any of it before, there's things that are in your... It's in all of us. They're in our subconscious that we just expect someone to do. They don't know that. So like it, it really, and throughout my career I've had that. I've coached in London, I've done the same thing. Like I've done it when I was a player. There was stuff I didn't know. So like really like covering all the bases, making sure is my communication clear, where being detailed as I go into something, trying to understand what they're thinking, you know, like those are the things professionally. And then I would say personally what you get from me is life changing, you know, like you go F.A. Obada and he's changed his life and we're still like close friends, Jordan my life. They're like, I was at Jordan's wedding. They're like some of my, they're like my family now, you know? So like, I see it as a professional and a personal gain on both levels. What do you like to play for? Are you a player's coach? That's, where, that's how I see it is like, I feel you have to say what you see all the time. And I feel if you say that, then you have to live it. So like, if you do that and, um, you're as accountable as everyone else. So, like, if you're doing really well, we should say that. We should praise you. If you're not doing something to the standard, we should say that. If I'm not doing it, you should say that. You know, like, I feel like this is, at this level of football, you're dealing with people that are grown men. And I think to, to become a championship team or a dominant team, to, to be basically there when the end is coming like in in this league i think that level of accountability has to be the highest between you all. and then there's still a lot of details to sort out between now and the season but when fans talk about your defense what do you want them to see out of the defense that you're coordinating i always think about this like um i think when and i think it's not it's not just me it's all of us like as a staff i think when you see it it's like what do your family when your family come what do they see like i know when like when i was in dallas and obviously, I was coaching the D-line. I knew when we was good because I'd get in the car on the way home. And my wife would be like, they look like animals out there today. They was flying around the field. And then someday she'd get in the car. And I was like, didn't look like that. And I'd be like, <laughs> So, you, like, I think, you know, I think we all know what it wants to look like. We want to be covering grass and we want to be fundamentally sound and um, systematically sound and communicating on all levels. How did your association with Dan Quinn begin? Um, it was true, basically, I'll try and cut it really short. Basically, I took an internship with the Dallas Cowboys. And the guy that I worked with through those two years on and off part-time, his name was Jerome Henderson. And he had a huge impact on my career. He's really the person that gave me um, my opportunity from the rip. And he ended up becoming the pass game coordinator in Atlanta. And one day he called me and said, do you want to come up to the combine and meet DQ and these guys? And um, I was look. He was like, "You should maybe see if we could do an internship here." So that's basically how it happened. And 
went up there, kind of done like a small interview with those guys, and the rest is history. My uh, coach McDonald's presser mentioned eventually making way for somebody else to call plays on defense. Has that been discussed down the road that that might be kind of the plan to have you eventually take over? When in our interview, yes, but like I think once you get past that, it's about the now. You know, like I think everything, everything we do now in the present. And we get it. We we got like Coach McDonald talks about all the time. We're at we're at ground level, so we have to create the foundations with true clarity. If we do that and we build it right, the rest, like I said, the good things will happen after that. I think, like really, when I look forwards and I try and push myself into a space that I'm not in at that present time, it's not as good. So like I try and just bring everything back and say, okay, what are we doing? You know. You got a first time DC. First time OC, first time special teams coordinator in the NFL, all doing this together. Is there something kind of cool about that? All three. It's exciting, years? right? <laughs> of course it is. Like I feel like that's that's what it's about. You know, you get together and you communicate and you think of ideas. And I think Mike is very good at creating a vision. Like I, one thing I come in here and I, I really understand what we're trying to achieve. You know, from a defensive aspect, and I think he's created that vision. So now it's kind of creating that mission mindset of like, let's go get it. You know, and let's all work together to get it. It's young, vibrant people, and like we all communicate. We sit down and talk at breakfast, and we go our separate ways, and we see each other around the building, and we get to know each other more. Like I don't know many people here personally, so as I go through this, I will. Of course, you just got here, but from the outside coming in, or the arrival, you. What are the aspects of building blocks that's already here on this defense that you're going to build on and see? And then what are the weaknesses you need to have? Um, just like I said, I, I think in regards to those statements, I think you need to do a deep dive before you come out and you, you give that answer. Because I think, and it's not that I'm trying to avoid the question, I'm just, like, I, I just, it's an injustice to say it. Like, because I think you see it. There's some, very prominent people in this defense that are good players. And how do you utilize those players? How do they fit into the new scheme? And those things will happen. They will come to life as we understand it as a group, you know? Anything else? I got one. Yeah. Um, you talked about being a good teacher. Can you just talk about how important the player's input in that relationship is? I said I like teaching. I didn't say I was a good teacher. <laughs> no, I hope I am. I'm only, no, I hope I'm messing around. Um, I think when you teach, and I think you really have to understand the learner. You know, like, because it, teaching is imparting knowledge on someone else, and then in this, in this industry, it's about them going practically and doing it, you know, physically doing it. So... Um, I think it's understanding the learner, understanding what are their needs. And, and we're in a special situation is that we only teach a small group of people. So we can really drill down and really understand what that person needs, you know, to be successful. So the way I look at it, it's a two-way street. It's, it's building trust. It's building communication whilst you're teaching. And then you can start really unpeeling the person there and saying, okay, what do they need to be successful? And that will happen. Favorite soccer team? West Ham. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Come on. What did you want me to say? Oh, no, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Thanks very much. I appreciate it. All right, we're going to react to everything we heard from both coordinators coming up next.
Bumpin' Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. All right, here from Ryan Grubb now, live. How are we doing, everybody? Good to be here. Who's up? How wild has the last month been for you? Yeah, it's been uh, pretty eventful for sure. Yeah, it's been a uh, um, really exciting month. It's been a tough month, but at the end of the day, it's uh, it's obviously a privilege and an honor to be here. This will Can you take us through how this happened? Ooh. <laughs> um, I think the most important thing to note on that is, uh, you know, I met Mike uh, about a year ago, started building a relationship, and... You know, not with any necessarily end in mind, but just just how the process goes in the football world. And I got to know him throughout, uh, you know, a couple different conversations and just kind of built that relationship over time. And, you know, kind of knew that potentially there'd be an opportunity like this down the line. Didn't necessarily think it happened the very first year, but um, that was really the, the first part and just staying in communication as you know, Mike obviously had a great season um, as a coordinator for the Ravens and, you know, knew that his name would come up in some search opportunities. And, you know, luckily for me, uh, he ended right here in Seattle. Where, was, where did you first meet Mike? Uh, we met at the NFL Combine. Yeah. This will be your first NFL coordinating job, obviously. What, are, what do you see as, like, the biggest differences or challenges compared to doing it at the college level? Well, I think there, there's the obvious, you know, the, the hashes, things like that are important. But I think the personnel-based scheme, uh, there, there's some things that you have to be uh, probably far more alert to as far as who's on the football field, whether it's base or nickel packages, you know, the identification of personnel problems. Um, you have those issues in college as well, but I think they can be a bit more prevalent in the NFL. And then also I think... Uh, the limited possessions. I think that that part of the game is a little bit different offensively. What was the connection? Uh, Offensive-minded, defensive-minded guy. What was that connection with you and Mike? Yeah, I think just respect. You know, when you when you look at another guy and what they do on the football field, their creativity, and you know whether it's how you defend or how you attack. And when you look at that and you talk to a guy like Mike, and you see how you know just detailed he is, you know, his his ability to see the field and, and just oh, I think there's an instant respect there and you know you just dive into it both ways on, on offensive and defensive side and I think that's where it all begins. Ryan, how hard was it for you to leave Kalen? Uh you know, I thought about that process a, a lot of times honestly. So I think just in the situation we we're in made it tougher. Um, just that he was getting getting it started out in Alabama and you know wanted to be there for him but you know, I knew this is what ultimately that I wanted to do if the right situation came up. Uh, you know, the timing is, is so difficult to really describe. So I think that was the hardest part was being in that position where the timing wasn't going to be perfect. And I think in this industry, the people that are in it, you, know, you just know that the timing is never going to be perfect. So best possible scenario, you know, you'd love those timelines to marry up a little bit better. Um, and obviously, you know, that was the hardest part, honestly. We, we knew this day would come for sure, and I'm, I'm excited for Kalen. I know he's going to do a phenomenal job down in Alabama, and, and uh, I know he's excited for me for this opportunity. Ryan, you, you had made it pretty clear that you wanted the UW job and you wanted to stay here. Had you reconciled that you were going to be in Tuscaloosa 
Yeah, no, that was uh, that's where I was. You know what I mean? That was uh, that was really the the point was to take the job down there, be the offense coordinator, and and nothing was set here. You know, Mike was going through his process and trying to make the best decisions he could for uh, the Seahawks, and so nothing was set. And so I had to keep moving forward with the job that I had taken, and that was the Alabama offensive coordinator job. So. Uh, yeah, I just had to trust the process and, and know that it would end up the right way. In the statement you put out, you mentioned how much Seattle means to you. So what does it mean that you are staying here? After? Man, this is like the unicorn event in coaching. So um, the fact that I got to stay right here and, and do it in a city in a place that I already love um, and I've had two years to, you know, kind of let it marinate as far as, you know, what John Snyder does here and, and the ownership with the Seahawks and just, how classy of an organization this is and how driven they are to success, it makes it really special. You know, when you think about making this step, you want to do it uh, hopefully with a program organization that you believe in. And so to be able to do that was, you know, unbelievable. How much have you gotten to know Geno Smith and what are your kind of your thoughts on him? Yeah, we're in a dead period right now. So really that's all it is, is just getting to know him as people. Um, so no scheme or anything like that, but he's great. He's a competitor. He wants to be coached. He wants to be the best. Um, you know, he, he, it means a lot to him, you know, and just hearing his story and his growth as a player and a person is, is inspiring, honestly. So I'm really fired up and looking forward to coaching him and Drew both. Uh, they're both wonderful guys and um, they're competitors. When, you, when you've watched, you know, whether it's just casually or now that you're in this position, what has stood out to you about the way he plays? I think he's got good presence. Um, I, I've been impressed with... You know, his decision-making, I, I thought, you know, last year in 22, I think he led the league in completion percentage. I think that says a lot in this league when you talk about how hard those decisions are, number one, and then how tight the windows are. To, so to be productive at that level um, and be the best in the league at it, I think says a lot. I think he pushed over 65% last year. So it just shows that he's got the ability to be accurate and, you know, make good decisions. And that's what... You know, ultimately, you need a guy that can lead, be smart, tough, and dependable, and and make good decisions. And I think Gino is more than capable of doing that. Brian, how important was it for you to bring Scotty up with you? Oh yeah, I mean, I think that continuity and the translation up front is, is really important. I've I've always felt like Scott was a NFL caliber line coach. He's had opportunities to leave in the past, and you know, so to be able to do it and have our system, I think it really helps. You know, the insulation process and the beginning points for the team just to be able to help with the translation part that you don't have to worry about um, how things are going to be taught or said and things like that. So I, I think it's a huge component. The offenses that you coordinated at UW and at Fresno State were pretty pass heavy. Sounds like Mike wants to lean more on the run game in Seattle. What's that shift going to be like for you? Yeah, I think, you know, over the course of my career, we've, we've done both, certainly. Um, I think, you know, when you look at what we did probably more specifically at UW over the last two seasons, we were, you know, accentuating the positives. And there's three receivers that are probably going to get drafted this year. And so I think, you know, moving the football through the air was a logical choice. Um, and we are going to be a physical team in Seattle. And um, over the years, that's something that we've certainly done when the components all matched up. You know, we, we ran the ball very effectively. And I look forward to it. I think that. When you have an established run game, it makes calling those other plays and auxiliary plays off of it um, a lot easier, honestly. It's when you don't have the presence of a run game that things can get really tricky. Mike called you an O-line guy at heart. What makes that so? <laughs> um, 
You know, when, when we talked in the interview process, um, I think I probably expounded on that quite a bit, just that I have a passion for what happens up front and how it ties into the success of every part of the game. And I've always believed that. And I think that, you know, when you have a talented and a unified group in that room, you got a chance every week. So successful at UW. How transferable is that to the NFL? It's not apples to apples, of course, personnel, but just, yeah. just the approach. Yeah, I think that, you know, play action pass in the NFL is honestly where, you know, we got a lot of our concepts. And so when we would base some of the things that we did, it was off of the NFL model. And so I think that some of those high read plays and flood concepts and things like that that uh, most people run um, certainly translate really well to the NFL. Going along with that, finding those mismatches and those holes in college defenses is a little. I mean, how much tougher is it going to be in the NFL to do that? Just using the same, you'll have to adjust a lot, I would imagine. Yeah, I think it's it's always going to be. I think every step you take um, in advancement in this, you know, industry, you're going to find tougher mismatches and to find, and you know, just the level of intelligence and the amount of thought put into each game plan is. Uh, that's the part that is so intriguing about the NFL, the chess match that happens every week, um, being right on your math in the box and, you know, all the things. You just, the room for error is so much less. When did the NFL become the goal for you? You know, I would say three years ago is the first time I really started looking at, like, do I want to pursue NFL or being a head coach? And not that it was going to happen at that moment, but that's really when I started to kind of dive more into NFL film um, start talking to more people that were in the NFL and started to research, you know, what that would look like both in schematic, you know, transformation and then just uh, lifestyle and things like that. What, what would be the big differences for me? So I would say at least about three years ago. Well, I think you're always looking for what, what can match your personnel, you know, for sure. And so I would look NCAA and NFL, but uh, you know, I think we always look for, you know, where the production's coming from and where the, you know, the people are being the most unique and how they use their talent. Pushed almost every position group at some point in your career, running backs, receivers, line, obviously quarterbacks. How does that help you as a coordinator when you have that experience with all those different groups? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I've been really uh, blessed. I don't know that it's was by design, you know, in my career and how things worked out, but Certainly, it helps you see the whole field, and I think it, it helps you relate to every position room and what those challenges are that are presented and how each room needs to succeed for us to succeed on, on a game day. And so I think when you can put, especially the front end, and you can truly tie in the run game with the pass game and the protection schemes, um, I just think it makes it a lot cleaner in the development of the game plan. That's the part that I've probably benefit from the most is it's easier to tie that game plan together when you truly understand what's going on up front and what the quarterback is facing. Ryan, we haven't had a chance, I think, to talk with you since the Michigan game. How much does that kind of still stick with you and drive you a little bit today? It hurts. It hurts a lot. Um, that was one of the toughest losses I've ever had to endure. So, and then, you know, to walk away from a, a special season like that, you know, nobody wants to lose the last game of the year no matter what, but to lose like that, um, it was tough, man, and and I said it before, but uh, those kids left everything out there, and and it was a it was a challenging loss. And then guys like Austin Mack that are heading to Tuscaloosa, how how difficult was it to kind of leave those guys behind, and what are those conversations like with that? Yeah, Austin's unique in the sense that uh, 
when I recruited Austin, you know, uh, it was under the premise, you know, talking to Brad and Lisa, his parents, that um, he knew that this was a possibility, whether it was this year, next year. At some point, I told him that, you know, there's a good chance that um, I wouldn't get to see the end of his career. And so I think honest conversations like that when you recruit kids help when transitions like this happen. You said that you kind of talked to Mike over the last year or whatever, but you were obviously still at Alabama last Wednesday and, and all that. Did it still kind of at the end kind of come, come together real quickly at the end? Or it... Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, things things happen fast when you're in these hiring cycles. And, and uh, you know, I think that the investment parts on the front side way before job opportunities happen so that some of those tougher conversations can happen that when you get to the finish line on something, you can be clean on it. I asked Jay Harville the same thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. How difficult is college coaching now, and what kind of challenge is that for you personally? And did that have any factor in you choosing to go to the NFL right now? Yeah, good question. Fair question. Uh, I think what I'd say to that is, uh, yeah, it, it was a factor. I think the bigger factor was just being able to compete at the highest level. Uh, but when I look at it, when you think about just, if you're just talking about coaching and your profession and your craft, what I would say is that the more ability and time that you have to focus on task at hand, the better you're going to be at it. And I would say that the tough part in, uh, you know, for college football is when you think about just coaching your room and your team, you know, and I was just talking to some guys about this yesterday and the focus that you're able to give your squad right now, just your team, that's all you're worrying about. And you don't have all these things coming in from the outside that you have to deal with and address. Um, just gives you more time and opportunity to be better at your craft and provide more resources to your team. Do you feel it's sustainable for a coach in college football the way the system is right now? Uh, I would say that's a longer that's a longer conversation. Um, I would say they got to get it fixed. It's got to be better. Um, there's too many good people and it's too good an organization and it's such a special um, place for kids to to work on what they love and. Um, yeah, they got to get it right, and they got to keep working on it. And I know they will. You mentioned the three guys you had at UW, like Jalen and Rome, and those guys. What do you see from DK and Tyler and Jackson Smith? Oh wow! Here? Yeah, they're they're amazing. I, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I think those guys are um, focal points of the offense, and I think they're smart, tough, and dependable guys. And I think that you know the sky's the limit when you got some guys like that, and you throw. Bobo in there and the rest of the room. I think there's a lot of weapons that can be utilized there. You mentioned Drew Locke as well. Do you, have, do you know him at all much, or what are your kind of thoughts on No, I, I mean, I didn't know Drew prior to this, but just had conversations. He's got a, a new young son, and uh, he's down in Florida right now getting ready to do some training, and I was just counseling him through uh, being a new dad and dealing with no sleep, so he's doing great. Going back to the interview process, knowing that Mike is a defensive-minded head coach, did you feel like you had to convince him that you could make that shift from a passive offense to uh, one that runs the ball more? No, I, I don't think you convince Mike of a lot of stuff. I think uh, he's very pragmatic in how he approaches things, and he's going to ask questions that um, you know you're not going to be able to fib on or try to adjust. To, you know, you're going to have to answer the question directly and be able to have answers for him. And I think that's what I loved about it. It was just you know, how straightforward he was and, you know, his vision for this whole thing. And you said you met him at the Combine. Is that common for college coaches? To, is it like a networking thing just to go to the Combine? No. Um, and I had, there was some connection probably a little bit prior to that, but um, 
you know, I think some guys go, some guys don't. You know, last year I really went more to watch the quarterbacks, and, you know, Michael was going to be down there going through an underclassman process that I wanted to be there for him with and um, really just took time to, to examine and watch quarterbacks, which was great. Brian, how exciting is the newness on staff? First time NFL head coach, your first offensive coordinating job in the NFL. Um, is that a challenge? Is it an opportunity? How do you look at it? Both. Both and, and excited about that. I think it, it's absolutely a challenge and one that I'm really looking forward to and looking at just like that, that it is an opportunity. And I feel like every time I've been given those opportunities and challenges that that brings out the best in me. Anything else? Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, you guys, uh, I'm going to let you in on a little peek behind the curtain. So I am probably should be saying that coming up next, uh, your new DC, uh, Adam Dirty, is going to be joining us. However, full disclosure, we already taped with Adam. We had to do so when, when Ryan Grubb was at the podium. The reason I tell you that is because Bump and I have already heard the interview. We already did the interview, and I'm telling you, you are going to want to run through a wall for this guy. You will love it. Don't go anywhere.